but we don't stop there. And oftentimes what happens in church life, we stop in our four walls as long as we're taking care of ourselves. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. And go to verse 32. I just want to pick on a word for a little bit. Because I think this word means more than just something that was hidden. Uh, I think this word is, has a continuation with it. A work that continues on. In 5.32, he says, This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Christ and the church. And here, the church is emphasized as one of those things that is a mystery. Now, in the Old Testament, Christ was talked about. Christ was talked about that he was coming. So we have that. But in the Old Testament, we really don't have anything about the church. It was that which God knew was going to take place. But the church was not really prophesied per se. And some people try to stretch it by saying, and it is a stretch, and it may have some truth, but it would be like this maybe rather than like this. When the scripture says, God says, I'm going to do a new thing. A new thing. Now, that word in there, mystery, means that which is yet hidden in a sense. But now the church is known. But in it, there is still mystery. And I believe that mystery that is still in the church is like what is in every individual. We can't see the potential or what that individual is going to be as they grow. That's a mystery to every parent. They can set goals for their child. They can want their child to be this or to be that. But yet it's a mystery yet of what that child going to be. And what God will take that person through in order to develop them. To be what he desires them to be. In the local church, I believe that same thing is there. There is that mystery yet. Because every church is different. And every church is called to minister to its community in which it is located. And yet God knows the plans he has for that church and developing that church. And that's why I don't think there's any set plans that I find scripturally that God says in the church, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Or this is how the church should be a ministry. But there is that flexibility 
And each church discovers what the Holy Spirit desire it to be and what God's vision is for that church. The church has a purpose to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that purpose comes in these words. You will do greater things than I have done. That the work of Christ is what? On through by the power of darkness into light that you can know what you are to do. And it's not hidden from you. The question is, is this, do you want to do it? If the Holy Spirit has given every one of us a gift, and in the church, if we have this spiritual gift, 
The question is, do you want to use it? Do you want to use it? Because, see, the gift doesn't belong to you. The gift is still the possession of the Holy Spirit. And all those gifts reside in Him. But He resides in who? And when the Holy Spirit desires to use a gift, He can use it through you because you've been chosen, you've been called out, you are a priest of the living God, and that God wants to use you to have an impact through His church into a community. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. That's everybody outside of where? Of being a Jew. You are to allow everybody to know the purpose of your service as a priest, as a saint, as an ambassador, as a witness of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you doing what you're doing? To them God has chosen, made known among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you. The what? Yeah. That this mystery, the church, is going to unwrap this mystery of Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. So the church has that function to unwrap the power of Christ in you. That you might do the work that Jesus himself said that you would do that was far greater than what he himself had done. The purpose of the church in the collective body is to teach people. Is to teach people. Melvin was making a point. And his point was this. That there's a small group of evangelicals today. Now understand this principle. There is this large group that is called nominal Christians. They are Christians by name, but they don't function as Christians. But they have the title Christian. They have the title born again. They have the title saved. But they don't function as though they are saved. They don't function in the church, per se. And most Christians you find today function from the position of survival. Satan's always got them in a pool trying to drown them. Satan always bothering them and hindering them. The Lord said, if you draw nigh unto me, what will Satan do? But if you're not drawing nigh unto God and his work, 
Satan's going to bother you. Why? You don't have nothing to do. And that old saying, an idol life is the devil's what? Yeah. And there's some truth to that old saying. When you're not busy for God, Satan's going to constantly hinder you. Now understand, just because you're busy for God doesn't mean Satan's going to leave you alone. But guess what? He's not noticed as much. (laughs) Why? Because God is taking you over. And God is taking you through. And God's giving you victory. And you're fighting the battles, but you're not noticing Satan. You're noticing what God is doing in your life. Which is totally different of where your focus is on now. And you're part of the church. And if you're part of the church, your focus is on Jesus Christ. Not on the hardships of your life. Not on this thing that you think you got to do. Not on this over here. But it's really focused on Christ. Because, see, you begin to understand. You are God's responsibility. But your first responsibility is first seek the kingdom of heaven and all these other things will be what? Will be added unto you. And what God is saying is this. When you first seek me and your heart is after me, all these other things I'll put in order for you. Why? He's first now. And he begins to put everything in this perspective for you. And you can see life differently because of that. And we need to understand the purpose of the church is to teach people the knowledge of the Bible so they can carry out what? The work of Jesus. If you're ignorant of the word of God, you don't even know where to begin. If you're really ignorant of the person of Christ, you don't know what Christ did and you don't know how to follow after him. If you're really ignorant of the Holy Spirit, you don't know where your strength and your power is really going to come from. If you are ignorant of the word of God, you are lost in this whole situation. And that's why in the church we repeat teaching over and over and over. Guess what? They do that all the way through the 12th grade and even into college. You're still learning how where a comma goes, where a semicolon goes. You're still learning what's a fragment in a sentence. And guess what? You've been taught that back there in the maybe the 5th grade, 6th grade. Hey, Let's leave that alone. I don't want to hear about that no more. And see, that's a lot of people in church. I already read the book of Genesis. I don't want to read that no more. I already read the book of Genesis. I don't want to go through that no more. The thing about getting it up here is going over and over and over again. Now understand this, the difference between a child and an adult. As a child, whether you learn it or don't learn it, if I tell you to do it, you're going to do it. (laughs) And I could care less if you like it, enjoy it. Because in my house it was not about whether I like doing this or I enjoy doing this. It was that mom or I said, this is what you're going to do. 
And sometimes I had to tell my children, smile. Because one of the things that we need to learn how to do is smile when I'm going through something I don't even what? Like. Walt Disney was great with that with those seven little doors. And I love that song. Whistle while you in other words, be happy while you're working. Okay. And most of us think work is something mean and something sad. And yet when you're working, you're creating, you're more like God at that point than any other point one like me. When you're working. And you can stand back and you can say, boy, I did that. You know? And God, when he was done creating, stood back and he said, boy, it's good. Guess what? It's very, 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 very good. Because it's what he did. And God, with an adult now, is different than the child. With the adult, I can't tell you to do it (laughs) and really make you do it. I have to wait till the adult put his hands out there on it and grab hold of it. Now, once they grab hold of it, it kind of like reminds me with my dad. My dad wanted to ride a bike. Because that was going to be his transportation because he no longer was able to drive. So my brother bought him a two-wheeler. Today, little Mark rides it. But starting my dad off on that two-wheeler, I had to walk alongside of him. And he's 90-something years old. And I'm trying to hold him up on this bike. And he's trying to balance the bike. But at least he was trying. And then... One day I told my dad, come on, dad, we're going out and look at some bikes. And I took him out to the bike shop out in Stowe, and we put him on a three-wheeler. The man told him, just right here in the parking lot, my dad took off and went everywhere else but the parking lot. And it comes to, when an adult, you got to keep holding on to him, holding on holding on until they grab it because you just can't tell them to do it. You just keep pointing the way for them. You just keep encouraging them. You keep supporting them until they catch it. And when they catch it, guess what? You can walk away. Because now they're gone on their own. And that's why in the church we do this repeating, this repeating, this repeating, because we're looking for it to what? For you to catch it. And then you start living it. You start walking it on your own. You start believing it on your own. And your faith is activated by it. And you're using it on your own. See, the church comes alongside of people. I don't care what their need is. Or where they're at in life. And we come alongside and we kind of like hold them up. Support them until they're able to do it on their own. And we have that purpose. And eventually that knowledge of God's word is sinks in. And now you're able to take off on your own in this one. And then we get a new bike and we start over. <laughs> you know, 
But when you have that knowledge, you take off on your own. And you're off and running with it. And you're carrying out the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to John 14. Because God's called us as a body to be involved. To be involved. The work of the church doesn't rest on you alone. It really rests upon Jesus saying yes or no to the work. Now Jesus has said yes to a lot of work. And guess what we said? It's like people at work. The foreman come and sign them a job. And as long as the foreman's there, they say yes. But when the foreman walks off and it comes 4 o'clock, the foreman's wondering why haven't you finished the work? You said yes to it, but haven't done a thing. You haven't done a thing. Verses 12 through 14. He simply says in this manner. Let me get there. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith, mark that word. Because, see, that's the challenge for the church. Do we really have faith? Do we have faith? To believe God. To trust God. Do we have faith that God will speak to us? Do we have faith that God will lead us? Do we have faith that God will never leave us alone? Do we have faith that God will order the steps of a righteous person? Do we have the faith that God will take us through something? And he says... I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith and understand problem and trials are nothing but a testing of your faith to see who you're going to lean on, who you're going to trust. That's all it is. And the trial then is not something for God to find out if you're going to be this or that. Remember what God said about Job? Before Satan ever started testing, he is a faithful servant. He won't turn. He won't this. He won't. God knew Job. Job didn't know Job. But Job discovered something more about Job. And when you go through a trial and you go through testing, what God is allowing you to see is yourself. He's revealing you. And the areas in life that you need to somewhat build up in. But that you can trust him in that. And knowing that you're not alone. That he's right there with you. And he says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Now what you've got to begin to do is really look at scripture and determine what is Christ doing. Now, somebody's going to put it in their mind, you haven't raised the dead. Yes, I have. Well, you once were dead in your trespasses and what? And you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because I witnessed to you, you have moved from death to what? Life. And he goes a little further and he says, he will do even greater things than 
these because I am going to the Father. Look what he says. Because of where I'm going, and I'm going to the Father, you're going to do greater things. See? Because I'm going to intercede for you. I'm going to speak on your behalf. I'm going to advocate for you. And what you ask of me, I'm going to take to the Father, and I'm going to say, Father, will you do this? Why? Because they're going to glorify me. Why? Because they're going to lift my name up. And he says, He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you what? Now, we've got to pause there. When you ask God something, what kind of shape is your life? Are you asking God from a position of pleading and begging because you know in reality you have not been living the type of life that God has ordained for you? When you live a life that is not worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find people begging and pleading it's almost like a child who know they have not pleased mom and dad, but they want to go to the show. They want to do this. They want to do that. Oh, please, mom. Please, dad. Just let me have this for this time. Well, you just did this and you knew it was wrong. Well, I'm sorry for that. Please just. See, that's a different position than just going up, living the type of life that is pleasing, that causes one to rejoice over you, causes one to be happy and thrilled about you. Dad, I need this. Here it is. Why? There's nothing between the two of us but this pure love and pure desire to please each other. Here it is. Here it is. I don't know how true it was, but my dad used to tell my wife, well, the reason I would do this for Gus is because the type of life Gus lives differently than his brother's. <laughs> Sometimes that put Gus in trouble. <laughs> because they seen it. But the issue really is, the type of life you live before your father also depends on what type of answer you're going to receive through your prayers. And he says, if you ask me anything in my name, that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Now look where the glory goes. 
The glory don't stop with who? With him. But eventually, it's the Father that's glorified. Christ is glorified in it because we're doing it. But it also then brings glory to who? To the Father. And what does Christ want to do? Glorify his Father. What was his goal while he was on earth? To glorify his Father. To do the will of who? His Father. To obey who? His Father. And when we obey him, we're obeying who? His Father. When we're glorifying him, we're glorifying who? His Father. It just doesn't stop there. And he says, I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything. Now, isn't that something? I'm so glad he didn't just say, you can ask me this, or you can ask me for that. He didn't limit it. Catch that picture. You're not limited on what you can ask God for. But understand this principle. You limit yourself. You limit yourself by how you choose to live and to serve him. You limit yourself. And in doing so, when you limit yourself, you hamper the work of God. Why? Because God chose you to be used of him in his work. In his work. Now understand, you may hinder his work, you don't stop his work, because you can be replaced very quick. (laughs) And he simply said... You can ask me anything. So why not ask this wonderful God who says, you can ask me anything for those things that are far beyond your reach? Don't ask God for just that which you yourself have the ability to do. When you're asking him, when you have the ability to do, You're asking for his counsel. You're asking him for your wisdom. You're asking him permission to do it because you have the ability to do it, but yet you want to discover, is this his will for you? Just because you have the ability of doing something does not mean that you should do it. But that, first of all, you should seek what is his will for you in that thing. That's important. Scripture tells us, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, do what? We're asking him, seeking him. Wanting to know what his will is for our life and our purpose. Just because I have the money or I have the ability or I have this and I can do it, I need to pray over that thing still. Getting his permission. Now, where that thing is beyond me, and it's going to take more than just permission, because I'm asking him now to open doors 
I'm asking him to supply this and supply that because I don't have it. I'm asking him for favor with people. I'm asking him for knowledge that I don't even have to be able to perform and to do this thing. Can you catch the difference between the two askings? One, you have the ability, you're asking permission. The other one, you're asking God to do. Because you don't have the ability and the capability of doing it. And you're grabbing after his heart that you do it. That you do it. That's why he says, and he starts this thing, are you asking in faith? Are you asking in faith? Are you trusting him in faith? Are you believing him in faith? Are you doing that? And then he says, as the church, and this is the, and I'm going to close at this point, and we're going to get ready for communion. As the church, we deal with societal and individual problems. What has hindered the church over decades and centuries is that we took our hands off of societal problems and said, they can take care of themselves, we'll take care of ourselves. And we forget people in darkness don't know how to function. People in darkness can't see clearly. People in darkness stumble around. People in darkness are constantly searching for direction and want to know what is truth. And want to know, is this the right way of doing something? But we forget they're in darkness. But we assume people in darkness can take care of themselves. And yet Jesus said he is the light of the world and he says we are. And as the light of the world, we are to help guide them into truth, into knowledge, into proper ways of functioning and doing and living. We don't take our hands off it, but we took our hands off it. Look down through history where all the church steps into societal problems and brought about a solution for society that made society better. So you'll hear people coming, well, you're just making it better for them to go to hell. No. When God brings a solution to a problem that the world cannot handle, they're able then to see Jesus Christ at work in a difficult situation that opens the door up for you and I to witness. That's all. That's all. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, Christ didn't get involved with the Roman issue or the slavery issue For this issue, no, he just taught. And he lived by example. 
And when the questions came up, he never dodged them. And the thing is, you and I, we got to be involved. He says, you're in the world, but you're not what? Of the world. You're in the world, but you're not living like the world. And he tells us, and this is part of the problem with the church, we have a problem with this conformality. Are we going to conform to the world, or are we going to conform to the Word of God? Are we going to live in the kingdom of God, or are we going to live in the kingdom of Satan in this world? Which kingdom do we live in? Which one do we follow? Which one is shaping our mind? Which one is educating us? Which one is leading us? And you have to figure that out within the church. And he says, boy, we deal with societal and individual problems. Why? Christ alone has the answer. If there's any other answer outside of the word of God, if there's any other answer outside of the person of Jesus Christ, then we're like Paul. We are a people most miserable because we're following the wrong thing. But if the solution is in the Word of God, if the solution is in the person of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ, if the solution is there, then there's nowhere else to look. It just comes to a matter of the people of God functioning and doing. And bringing about a solution for the problem that society or a community or an individual is going through. Very quickly, Genesis eighteen fourteen. First time we read this, but yet it should be something that gets stuck in our mind because it's the same thing that is said also with Mary, what is impossible with man is possible with God, in a sense. Genesis 18, 14, the Lord simply says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Name something that's too hard for God to do. Some things are going to be more difficult. Some things are going to take more faith. But nothing's too hard for God to what? To do. If he desires to do it, he's going to do it. Matthew 19.26 Because we need to understand that God doesn't wait for the permission of man to do. And oftentimes we think he does. And the only thing Oftentimes God is saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. Jesus is saying, walk in my footsteps, walk in my footsteps. The Holy Spirit is saying, stop, listen to me. Because God's not waiting for our permission to act or to perform or to do. He's doing it on his own. And then you and I have to catch up with him, walk with him, hang out with him, believe in him, trust him. And, and, and we have to come to that place where we're willing to surrender to him. So in 1926, 
He simply says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is what? Yeah. But with God, all things are what? Yeah. What is it in your mind that stops you from believing that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that he ever, that you ever ask or think of him? What is it? What is it that stops you from believing and trusting him? Isaiah 43, 13. Isaiah 43, 13. Look at what he says here. He says, Yes, and from ancient days I am he. But look what he's going to say. No one can deliver out of my hands. No one. When I act, who can reverse it? When I act, who can what? Reverse it. See, you can't stop God from acting. You can't stop God from doing what God wants to do. Would you say, well, if I choose not to follow him, you're right. You're the only one that stops. Why? God would not force your will. Now, you're a servant. He won't make you do it. But understand, you won't stop God's show either. And he says, who will stop me from doing what I want to do? Who's going to stop me? And the last one, John 9, 3. Because we need to get a good picture as the church of this one who we are working with. It is a God who is able to perform. It is a God who is able to speak to you and put vision in your heart and mind. It is a God who is able to say, nothing's too hard for me to do. And then I can hear Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? He has this relationship with the one in whom there is nothing too hard for them to do. John 9, verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now understand something. There's a lot of things happening today that God's hand might be displayed. There's a lot of things that's happening that God is trying to say to people, wake up, see me, look up here, don't look down this way, look up here, looking up here, boy, your hope is drawing nigh, your redemption is drawing nigh, I'm the one who had the answer, look up here. And he says in this man's life, this thing was done that God might be glorified. Understand something. A lot of things that we're experiencing today is taking place that he might be glorified. It's not just to make people suffer. It's not just to make people do without. 
But when we think we can live independently of God, God allows something to happen to show you need me. Now, whether you recognize me or not, I'm going to at least show you you need something greater than yourself. And God allows it to happen. And he says, boy, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of who? Of him who sent me. And it's strange how that little part of that bird jumps in there. Because it changes right after again. And he said, boy, we must do the work of him who sent me. That during the time of a crisis, during the time of a problem, during the time of somebody's hardship, it is time to what? Work. That's the opportunity to show forth the glory of God. And God allows these things to take place that we go to work and we show forth the glory of God. It's not that all the folks in Texas were sinning because it also happened to Christians. It's not that what happened in Florida that all the folks were sinning. It's not that what happened in Puerto Rico that all the folks were sinning because we have a lot of Alliance churches in Puerto Rico. But God says now for the Christian, time to go to work. (laughs) Time to go to work. It's time to help somebody. If you don't do nothing but just give them a bottle of water, time to help somebody. The mayor of one of the towns in Puerto Rico was on shortwave radio or something, and she was yelling out, if anybody hear us, we need help. We're dying. We're starving. We don't have the basic needs of life. Just think for a moment. If you couldn't go home. Just think for a moment. If you just had to go spend one night in Perkins Woods. You didn't have any of the luxuries of home. You didn't even have your toilets. You don't even have an electrical can opener. You don't have a refrigerator. You don't even have a mattress to lay on. And all you can do is gather some leaves as a mattress. You don't even have a blanket to pull up on you. You don't even have a microwave which you can go to and just warm something up real quick. And all you had for shelter over you were the stars and the moon. Remember the little song? Count your many blessings one by one. 
And that's all it is. You are blessed to be in the position that you are in. And the people who don't have that, they are blessed because they still have life. And as long as you have life, you have hope. And the Lord then instructs us in Thessalonians to give thanks in what? All things. So even though I've lost it all, I can still give what? Thanks. And if I possess it all, I'm giving what? Thanks. And he says, the problems of life, the crisis of life, is that my people may work while it's yet day, for night cometh when no man will what? Will work. So we work while it's yet day, because we know night is coming. That's the church. The church is to work in the lives of individual people. The church is to work in the community and the problems that community goes through. The church is to work. And oftentimes the biggest thing that keeps the church from working is this issue of money. And I'm going to give you the second issue. When it comes to the things of the world, we're not lazy. If I come by your house and you've been working all day long and you're tired, but I say I got a spare ticket to the Cavs game, what might you do? You're all broke down and you're tired and your feet hurt, your back hurts. But I come and I tell you, brother, if you pack your back, man, hey, I got this ticket for this cruise. Can you get off? <laughs> you go to work. The biggest thing with Christianity sometimes is simply this. People are lazy. The boss don't come and tell you, get to work. But we're just lazy when it comes to the things of God. And understanding something. To serve God, there is no lunch break. To serve God, there's not a time which you just choose to take off. To serve God is 24-7, and you'll find that in the book of Luke with the servant who comes in from work. And he thought, boy, he'd been out in the field all day working. And the master says, fix my dinner. Hey, man, I've been out in your field all day long, and now you're telling me to come fix your dinner? You ain't been out there under the hot sun. You ain't been out there slaving. You ain't been out there. No, what does he do? Fix 
the dinner and serves it to his master. Understand something. Jesus will give you breaks, and we see that with his disciple when he caused them to go take a rest with him that they would come apart. But many of us are coming apart without him. We're taking our rest without him. We're going on break without permission from him. We're taking a longer vacation that we haven't even earned without him. And what hurts the church is that the people who say they love God are lazy. I include myself in that. Because oftentimes we think we have done what? Enough. And we forget a servant is 24-7. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that as we travel through this and we journey through this, the purpose of your church and why we are called out of darkness into your marvelous light and why we are called to be your saints and your ambassadors and your witnesses and your royal priesthood and why we are called to serve you. Help us, O oh God, to catch a glimpse of what you desire each and every one of us to do. That, Lord, we have a responsibility, and may we not neglect our responsibility. May we not...